Whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a singer-songwriter, music theater performer, and she's never been up the escalator at 34th Street in Hudson Yards. It's Ellery Ward, everybody. (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's true. It is absolutely terrifying to me, and it's just not. It's is that just escalators not. in general, or that one in specifically? You just. Want um, to... I mean, escalators in general kind of freak me out mm-hmm. when they're going up, <laughs> because oh, I have okay. this irrational fear that I'm going to fall backwards. And the one at 34th Street Hudson Yards is like literally the stairway to like heaven mm-hmm. and you can't see like where you're going it's so tall oh, and yeah. it freaks me out so we have a few of those here in dc that are just like oh well okay it's, it's an act of faith to get on the escalator yeah it's an elevator day for me but... <laughs> oh see i can't do elevators in public transportation that freaks me out they're so underground so but, you, you you've know, got the escalator I got my covered. thing you got I your got thing the elevator. That's great. I've walked up very tall escalators in the rain when they're broken. It's no fun, like, but I will oh, not get in the steel box. <laughs> that's a nightmare that I'm going to have tonight when I go to sleep. <laughs> well, my work is done here. Good night, everybody. We're going to be. That's a, no, not at all. We're here to talk about with you. We're here to talk about Spring Awakening. Mama who bore me. Mama who gave me. most prevalent when I was in like middle school, high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, that's also like you connect to the show when you're that age sure. too. And you're like, these characters get me. <laughs> um, but I also had never uh, seen the show and didn't fully know what the show was about mm-hmm. at that time. Um, all I had was the cast recording and it was unlike anything else that I had ever heard at that time. Um, I also am, this is kind of uh, maybe heinous to say on this podcast, but I don't really enjoy listening to Broadway cast recordings. Oh, um, well, you're fired. I'm sorry. Good night. <laughs> so it's like, when I really feel connected to one, I, I think it's just like an incredibly special thing. Mm-hmm. And Spring Awakening, I think because it was unlike anything I had heard and still to this day is 
unlike anything I've ever heard in the theater canon. Um, it just was one of those things that I remember listening to it just constantly. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it was, I just listened to it on repeat. Like I was in the shower and I had my, like, at that time you had like iHomes right. <laughs> for your iPod. Sure. And I would like plug it in to my iHome speaker and like play it when I was like in the shower, like getting ready for bed. Like I, it was a whole vibe <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was obsessed with it. I was truly obsessed with it. And I had no idea really what was going on in the plot, which I think is why I liked it so much. Yeah, I was going to say, that probably helped. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there were ideas of what I thought was going on in the story because of just, like, what my brain came up with listening to it. Because the lyrics are so interpretive, you Mm know? Um, They're very poetic, and so they kind of opened anything up to to fill in the blanks Mm -hmm. and so I thought certain characters were one way or like were involved in other characters that they totally are not (laughs) but that's like really cool and then like when I saw the show for the first time ever I was like oh this thing that I have created in my mind based off of just the songs like just the music is this totally different thing and I'm very attracted to music that kind of lends itself to different stories and, and different um, uh, kind of interpretations, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think even at a young age, that was very, I was just kind of enchanted by that. You just reminded me, I think that the last time we did, it's been years since we covered Spring Awakening on this podcast, officially. It's come up a few times, but only one other person's ever talked about it all the way through. And it was my friend Lee, who I also think said he doesn't listen to a lot of Broadway cast albums, but like this was an album he absolutely listened to. Uh, and it's that's that's really interesting to have that kind of response. I get why. It doesn't sound like... It's, it's one of those great musicals to me that is it, it it doesn't sound like any other musical but it is mm-hmm. absolutely a musical score like that right. score hangs together as a cohesive unit for the show it's not just sort of a disparate collection of songs which can happen when you have a pop songwriter writing a musical for the first time they sort of each song right. kind of lives totally on their own this is a a fully conceived of like piece of music almost that goes yes. underneath these lyrics and with this book exactly and I think that's what's so special about it to me now, Uh, Mm -hmm. like having kind of matured and experienced more in terms of the world of musical theater as well as the world of music too. Mm -hmm. Um, Like it's more than a concept album, like which it could, you know, I think someone who doesn't necessarily know musical theater, like how songs kind of uh, quilt together to make a story mm-hmm. um, would would call it probably. Um, but it, yeah, you're so right. Like there, there is this undeniable thread throughout the whole show um, where it's like, it's every song is from the same world as each other while propelling forward in a way that other artists' albums don't necessarily do. It's more like, yes, they live in the same world and they're kind of like lending themselves to a similar theme or 
or story or something, but they're not telling the story through. Mm-hmm. Um, and like even the tone uh, throughout the, this cast recording, like it shifts as the, as the story progresses, which isn't something, I don't know. There's just something kind of like nuanced and subtle and magical about that to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. But it's so like easygoing. It, it, it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel contrived, I, I should say. Yeah, it really, the album especially, it really drifts along and propels mm-hmm. and it has, you know, it, it changes tempo, it changes tones. Like I'm not saying it's all one long sort of exactly. song. Yeah. But it does really flow in a really, really unique way that the songs just mm-hmm. kind of go into each other. They follow one after each other and they, and they, move with each other and you sort of find like the next thing you know you've listened to the whole album it has that kind of effect on it It, you don't ever right there's not a lot of skipping going on so you're sort of just like you're going straight through it and maybe backing up on the hits but you're sort of always kind of drifting right through all the way but even though there are the like the hits Mm -hmm. quote unquote i still feel like unlike maybe an artist's album where not every single song is amazing this i mean it every single song is so good like obviously there are some that stick out more than others in Mm -hmm. terms of just like hookiness and like earworminess Mm -hmm. um but once you kind of like get past those as like the heavy hitters you you do see and realize that every single song is so good and there are a lot of musicals I do not feel that way about at all. Mm-hmm. And I also think that a musical that has every song being that good and like placed so well um, and matching the tone of the show so well in its sequence, uh, that is a good musical mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Because I mean, what's a musical without the music? <laughs> Very true. A play. <laughs> exactly. A play that rhymes a lot, I guess, if you leave the lyrics in. Uh, sure. Right. <laughs> That's kind of all it would be. Uh, before we get too deep in, it's probably a good idea for maybe people who don't know for us to to summarize the plot of Spring Awakening. Do you think you could give a sort of cursory introductory summary of Spring Awakening? Oh, my God. I didn't know you were going to ask me and this. It's Thousand and- Tony Awards, <laughs> however many won. I'm like... I'm okay. My mom always calls me out for being like the detailed storyteller. I like go way into deep about things. Oh, okay. So now I'm like, okay, don't get too just far hit, in. Yeah, just hit the highlights. Just hit. The, you don't have to. You don't have to go. Yeah, too, okay, it's a pretty famous okay. musical. I don't think people, many people don't know anything about this show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So Benla Bergman, she is starting to question things and be curious um, as young teenagers tend to be um and asks her mother you know like how how are babies made her mother does not uh really give her a defined answer um so she doesn't know and as the story goes she uh goes on uh she meets Melchior Gabor who's very um intelligent and but in a kind of um uh elusive way uh he and Venla uh, have sex in a hayloft, mm-hmm. but Venla doesn't know what 
it is that they're doing. Right. Um, she just feels how she feels about Melchior and she trusts him. So she lets it happen. And then she ends up being pregnant, which she had no idea how that could have happened. Cause she was like, we didn't do anything to cause this because I hadn't, I didn't know. <laughs> um, and then her mother uh, takes her to uh, get an abortion, which ends up being her demise. Right. Unfortunately, um, all the while Mort Stiefel is struggling with, uh, I would say, anxiety and depression. Um, and no one uh, kind of helps him or even acknowledges that that's a thing, uh, especially his father. And he ends up committing suicide. And um, it sounds really so terrible <laughs> when I say it. Well, but that's why it's a musical. Like, that's the, like, <laughs> it would be relentless. <laughs> well, and it is relentless because it's, I mean, the, the, the only thing we sort of need to, I think, set up if you don't know is that it's based on a night an 1891 German play of German the same play. name. Uh, and set in 19th century Germany, but the music is all very early 2000s right. emo like, rock kind of yeah. style. Folk and, rock. Yeah, and the characters perform in the original production anyway with microphones, and it's very anachronistic, mm-hmm. and intentionally so. And is to, the purpose being to draw, like take this older play and draw the audience into it with the contemporary music. And I think it's one of the few shows that try something like that and succeeds. I uh, agree. Unequivocally. Cause it's been tried before in various Tony award winning ways with shows like two gentlemen of Verona, which has a contemporary rock score in Shakespeare's book. Um, and other, you know, the, the, the sort of examples of the contemporary scores over classical pieces, this one really, I think because it runs at that concept so hard, mm-hmm. it succeeds unequivocally mm-hmm. to me it, it really believes in its own its own conceit which is really really great right and it's so um i don't know it's so clean yeah and, and it's like not throwing too many things at you that as an audience member you can't digest or can't understand it's just like so simple that it's incredibly impactful in that way that you just described mm-hmm. and it's rare it's rare to witness a show be that impactful in its simplicity while covering very uh, kind of sprawling ideas mm-hmm. and topics. Um, the, yeah. <laughs> the timeless ones, I think as the show really goes, the other, one of the reasons it works so well is because everything in it is timeless. I mean, teenagers have been getting pregnant since time in memoriam and not understanding why. And, right. you know, obviously teenagers deal with not being understood by their parents and dealing with depression and all kinds of other issues. Right. These are, you know, same as it ever was. And I think one of the reasons the contemporary score works so well on the older setting is because all the kids feel very out of place. And so the music they perform is tremendously out of place to where they right. are. And that it works. It just absolutely, it just absolutely right. works. There's a reason for them to grab microphone, you know, like for for um, John Gallagher Jr. to grab a microphone and <laughs> slam himself on the floor is because yeah. it's absolutely the emotion that he is he is uh, is conveying is really in that that sort of level of intensity and the and the concept of like 
when I grab this microphone and sing to you, the audience, I'm sharing something with you that I cannot share with anyone. Mm -hmm. And like, as an audience member, witnessing that and like feeling the need for you as an audience member to listen to this character that is like crying for help in those moments is just so, I don't know. There, when you feel necessary as an audience member, I think that is a very hmm. special thing because there are lots of times where it's like, whether or not I'm in this audience, this story can be told. Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's just something very um, pressing mm-hmm. about like, I'm in this audience and they're looking at me and singing to me with this microphone in their hand and like screaming, please like listen to my yearning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I need to be here for them to sing that song, Mm -hmm. which I don't know. It's a very, mm, gives me the goosies a little bit. Well, then it is an experience. (laughs) I think you only, you can have in in shows, but it's more common in, you know, concert performances between an individual artist and an audience where you can have that kind. It's rare, I think, to have the connection on stage between a a diaspora of characters and the audience like you just described. That's really, really interesting. I hadn't thought about that aspect of it, of the the sort of let me, I'm letting, because it's a very common musical trope. Like I'm going to tell you, you know, like how I'm feeling here and, you know. I mean, it's, <laughs> and here we go, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. We're alone, I can tell you, you know. Uh, yeah. And and this does that, but it does. But the things they're they're talking about and singing about are so forbidden in their culture, and they're also so universal <laughs> to the audience that I think it creates this really, really interesting and again understandable connection, like you say, that then makes that like lightning intensity between the characters go and, mm-hmm. and the audience and be like, yes. Yes, I feel important and special because they should. It's one of those terrible stories where everything would be fine if people just talked to each other. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lot of tragedies are just like, you know, if I think if we'd all sat down and had a nice conversation about sex right. and depression, I think we would, everyone would still be alive, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> Some transparency might do a little bit. well. <laughs> would do probably okay, you know, and uh, right, and maybe some equal rights for women and birth control if we want to get really technical about it. But you know, no, <laughs> I understand. Let's not get crazy. It's nineteenth-century Germany, but uh, <laughs> there, there, it is that, and that really, I think the the again the the songs and the intensity really drive that idea home. That like, if they could say this to their parents, the people making these terrible decisions, mm-hmm. or their <laughs> teachers, or whoever, right, and those people could actually hear them. Everyone could help each other because everyone's got the answer. The adults know what's going on in the world that these kids just don't right. understand. And it would be be nice. <laughs> Which is why, like, when, I, I don't know if you saw the revival. Uh, no, the Deaf West production? Ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I, I saw that production, I didn't, I kind of, I went in kind of open. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect or not expect anything. Um, And it hit me maybe even deeper than Mm. when I saw the original uh, production. I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the, that literal 
I'm not being heard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh my God. Right. I think about, I like literally just saying it now. I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> oh, it's so smart. It's so smart. And so, Oh, it hits. It just really hits. <laughs> it, it seems. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if you're just listening to this and you you're not on this see, Zoom call right, right now, I'm literally the, like the shaking around. Yeah. <laughs> well, so how much of what's what's interesting? So how much of teenage Ellery listening to this informs where were you on your songwriting journey when this show came into your your sphere? Well, I have been technically writing music since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, I started piano and violin when I was five and I wrote when I played piano and was like rewriting things that I had learned uh, on my sheet music because Mm -hmm. I thought it sounded better. And then I would just come up with things. Um, My first piano recital, I played like my required assignment and then I played an original composition called Springtime. Um, so I've been writing, uh, kind of my whole life, but it wasn't until I was like maybe 11, I think that's the right age, um, that I started writing songs with lyrics. Mm. You can imagine how uh, deep they were. Sure. Nobody (laughs) Um, starts, nobody starts out up here. You gotta, you gotta get there. You gotta put in your time. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. My first real song that I wrote at that age was called love me. And it was about this boy that I really liked (laughs) and I just wanted him to love me. Oh my God. That's so pure. Oh my God. Very pure. Oh my gosh. Oh, see now my my heart's breaking for, oh my gosh. I am flushed talking about this that's so wonderful though like i think that level of pure expression at that age just got to be intense like man oh that God. probably was an intense song to write it it had did many anyone ever layers. hear it yes i was like listen to this song oh, that i wrote you? to my whole family i was like so oh proud of myself gosh. and like i recorded all of these harmonies and stuff because my dad got me this like tiny little I don't even know. Like a four track recorder? Like, a, or was, I, it, was it? It it was like a pre interface mm-hmm. thing. Sure. Um, Where you could layer vocals right, and things on it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was like very remedial. Sure. Um, but yeah, I had like all of these different layers to it. I had all these harmonies. I thought that I was incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, from there, I really just like never stopped. Mm-hmm. I like never thought about not writing songs. Um, so I just kept going. And I, when it came time to enroll in college, um, I went to an arts high school for musical theater. And I had never really spent in-depth time studying songwriting, which had always been a, a thing for me. Hmm. Uh, so I got into Berkeley College of Music and I went there for a year. And amidst that year, I realized that musical theater was absolutely what I had a passion for. Um, (laughs) But I also have to say, like, I would never take back that year ever. Mm -hmm. Like the things that I learned both in school and just like life wise and the people that I met, I would never take that back. And then 
Um, I, I transferred to the Boston Conservatory for Musical Theater mm. and ended up uh, emphasizing in songwriting my junior and senior, senior years. Um, and that was the perfect balance for me. It was like I was primarily studying musical theater, mm-hmm. which is my number one love. And then I also was giving a decent amount of effort and time to my songwriting. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like continued on this very like rolling basis throughout my life. And now I, I feel like I have a good education from like a technical standpoint, mm-hmm. but now I'm kind of learning how to take that and meld it with what I am attracted to when I listen to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's, it's interesting I know so many musical theater writers mm-hmm. who write musicals. I will never be that thing. I will never have what they have. Hmm. I, I, I am so terrified of writing a musical. I feel like I only can write good music when it comes from a place of like authentic emotion. And I'm mm-hmm. writing from my own life experience and my own present moment. I can't imagine taking that, putting it in the lens of a character mm-hmm. and speaking the way they would speak, and then also trying to further the plot and create relationships. <laughs> I mean, that is complicated. Well, that's why you have a book writer. You don't have to do everything by yourself. <laughs> yeah, but like, you know. Um... <laughs> no, get a playwright to take care of that for you. You don't need the other all that stuff. Uh, because I mean, as not not to go right to the top, but as Sondheim would say, I think disagree with him that he's not he hasn't created a character in his life that he writes for what the book writer writes. So I think that's all a I disagree. I want to be clear. I disagree with his statement, yeah, but that's what too. he says. So we'll just sort of take him in. I mean, I think I've 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 said it before on this podcast. I'll say it again. The worst person to ask about Stephen Sondheim's work is Stephen Sondheim. But that's true. Yeah, just from an like a objective point of view. Uh, and we will talk about Suf Sand, but not yet. Um, so I'm really interested having, because actually we can dovetail into it for a second. Obviously, I first came to know you because of Suf Sand. I think like a lot of people on this podcast probably did. And then dug into your material because of that. And I was struck, actually, by the strong sense of character in your songs. That they have a, they all have a point of view and tell a story in some capacity. The one that really knocked me down in the more recent one was Mess. I thought that that mm-hmm. was like, that was a very, very interesting story that I was suddenly <laughs> listening to and felt a little uncomfortable about, which was great. I mean, it was, I think it's clearly the intention, yeah, that I was sort of just like, I don't know that I should be listening to this, but obviously I like it was out for public consumption, yeah. I think I just made things complicated For nobody else other than myself I know that it's wrong, but that's why I want it I'd rather love and be lost than sit on the shelf Because I like the way it feels when you do me I should go, but I want to stay I like the way 
wandering into certain embellishments where it's like if this were who I was talking to it would make the song more interesting mm-hmm. um like on on my EP from, that messes from hologram I I wrote it a coming stemming from one person a friend of mine and my relationship with them and then it kind of morphed into a different character that I blended with someone else from my past. Mm. And so it's like when it, when it's two people from my current experience, it, it, it technically is a character that I'm mm-hmm. writing because it's not just one person who has done X, Y, Z and said X, Y, Z. It's, it's a combination that creates its own thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I would I, I think I'm better at writing the writing, I guess, a quote unquote character in terms of who I'm speaking to. Mm. But who I am speaking as is much harder to play around with. Mm-hmm. It 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 always comes from me. Sure. Yeah. But you we we are different people when we talk to different people. I mean, I think that that's I love that. Yeah. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> I like that a lot. <laughs> well, we are. I mean, I really think it's one of those. I, I think it's more pronounced with some people. And it was something I kind of struggled with when I was in, in, in college, mm-hmm. high school and college with relationships was that you like, I think you are, there's a, oh man, I don't know if it's a Japanese proverb or what, but there's a line, the man is whatever room he is in. And I, I really oh. felt this sort of, this vibe as someone who was a performer and transitioned to being a writer that like, I was different people to different people. And when I was right. with my theater friends, I was this way. And when I was with my other friends, I was that way. And it was very, very pronounced. And I sort of was aware of the fact that, like, I need to I need to grok all these personalities into one person because it's exhausting <laughs> to sort of remember, like, who you are with these people versus who you are with those people. And yeah. but I do think that that exists. You know, and it's actually something I've come to to discuss a lot with my son who who's, is on the autism spectrum who has to have those sort of differences explained like this is the way we talk when we're at home this is the way you talk when you're at school this mm-hmm. is these are words you can't say to your grandmother these are you know like things you don't say in front of teachers blah blah, blah all that sort of stuff and situational appropriateness and I think that yeah it, it's it's often ignored I think with, with with writing that who you're talking to can be just as important as who's doing the talking and that's it, so true yeah it's it because it affects the way you would frame whatever story you're telling would be like, right. how much information does this person need? How well do they know me? How much do they want to hear about, about what happened? <laughs> right. And then it just, it, it, it's a total snowball effect. Mm-hmm. Like one thing leads to another of what and how you share yourself, mm-hmm. which, wow, I love this so much. <laughs> <laughs> I love this so much. Cause you're opening my brain to even just how I see myself when I'm writing as myself, because it's so true. Like when not only who I'm talking to, but in the mood that Mm -hmm. I am in when I'm talking to said person, like is going to change the vernacular that I use Mm -hmm. when I'm discussing whatever it may be. Yeah. So you, you say though that that this is funny that if, if, uh, 
you don't listen to a lot of cast albums, but music theater is your first love. How did that love transpire itself? How did you find Honestly, music theater? I, I was like, I don't know, maybe three or four. And my sister and I would make up these plays that we would put on for our parents. We had these living room, like pocket doors, like sliding doors mm-hmm. that were our curtains. <laughs> it would like slide into the wall. Yeah. Oh, and I it had was those in my huge, house. Yeah. 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 Okay. And it was mm-hmm. like a huge, like mm-hmm. double sliding door. You could moment. close off like the dining room from the rest <laughs> right. of the house or whatever. Yeah. I got you. Right. Yeah. And on the other side was our family room uh-huh. where my parents would sit on the couch and like we would open the curtains <laughs> <laughs> and we would like do these little plays that we made up. Sure. Our biggest hit was Scaredy Cat. Oh. I was the Scaredy Cat. Okay. <laughs> I was a cat. Who is afraid of everything? <laughs> so kind of a literal scaredy cat. Like um, a, yeah. You know, I was four years old. Sure, so that. sure. Um, <laughs> but my sister always played like the narrator and like she was the director. <laughs> okay. And I just sort of like put in my, my creative points. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. And so then after a few years of putting on uh many high budget high quality oh, sure, productions. Of course. Yes, yes. Um I went up to my mom and I was like, "Mom, I want to be in a real play." Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, "Well, I don't know how to do that. Uh, but I guess I'll figure it out because <laughs> sure. you know, theater exists." Right. Um so she found this like, you know, youth community like theater school mm-hmm. uh, where they they had voice lessons and acting lessons and they would put on productions um and they were doing uh the sound of music and my mom was like i'll sign this child up and sure. see what happens and uh i just totally fell in love with it i like i i don't know i hated rehearsals mm. because they were really disorganized and I am type A Um, (laughs) and I was like this is not run the way it should be (laughs) as a little like eight-year-old child only my first show but you are doing this all wrong (laughs) I was like who is the stage manager yeah (laughs) (laughs) they needed a new stage manager um (laughs) could have been me could have been me I don't know Um, great eight-year-old stage managers so I hated rehearsals. Sure. But once our like first performance mm-hmm. happened, I was like, oh, this is magical and mm-hmm. amazing. And like people are applauding and it's really freaking awesome. Um, so after that, I just was like, what's the next show? Like, I need to keep doing this. And mm-hmm. my mom put me in voice lessons and the whole shebang. Wow. And yeah, they were, my parents are incredibly supportive. And I think they saw that from a young age, I had an innate passion and a talent Mm -hmm. uh, for what I was passionate about. So they were like, go, go forth. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I'm incredibly grateful for because I mean, not everyone has that experience and I would not be, I would not have the education or be where I'm at if it weren't for my parents being, noticing Mm -hmm. my interest, um, and my and my gifts for it. Um, so yeah, ever since that happened, I was like, "This is what I'm going to do," and I have literally never stopped. <laughs> I've literally only done music and musical theater my whole life. 
So well, I mean, if you find something you love, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I would necessarily choose it if I had my choice of things to be passionate about. Because there are the days where I'm like, oh. this, this is it. This mm-hmm. is what I'd like to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. It and is. I'm very, I don't know. I feel really lucky that I've known what I've wanted to do mm-hmm. in, in some, I knew I wanted to be a performer at a young age. I didn't know exactly where I wanted to land within that umbrella mm-hmm. um, until it came to my decision transferring from Berkeley to Boco. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just feel really lucky that I've never had to question what pocket of uh, the earth I was going to inhabit. Sure. <laughs> That is real. Yeah, that is a real that that is a real gift to have that that knowledge from the jump, Uh, (laughs) especially for someone who like myself, who is something of a magpie. I do envy that ability to know exactly what you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) But but at the same time, Mm -hmm. may I just say, like, I still find my I mean, I'm doing I do so many different things within that within that Mm -hmm. realm at the same time that I still feel that way. It's like, yeah, I know what I love. I know what I am attracted to and what I'm good at, but how it necessarily like manifests itself as a whole is still a mystery to me. It it is. It occurs to me like that. uh, I mean, I do, like I say, I do a lot of different things, but they're all related. Like I just do films or I do plays or I do, you know, podcasts or whatever, audio production, all these things. They're all connected, but just like I imagine singer, songwriter, music, theater, performer, it's a Venn diagram, but there are portions of that Venn diagram that don't come anywhere close to each other. (laughs) Yeah. And And you're constantly dealing with very, very different groups of people who probably don't fully understand what the other group is like or wants or needs or has or any of that, (laughs) which I imagine can be frustrating. That if I could just like take what you just said and like put it on a billboard for people to read and understand. Oh my God. That's that is literally the crux mm-hmm. of the issues that I have. It's like each part of what I love to do has this whole other thing mm-hmm. behind it. Mm-hmm. Where like if you just go all in, you can easily just like slide right, right in, in there, there. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but i don't right i don't just slide right into anything mm-hmm. it's like i'm taking a bit from each thing and and, and it can definitely feel like you don't fit in anywhere mm-hmm. because you're not just one thing yeah but i'm really actively the more and more that i like develop my career and who i am and what i do i'm very determined to break that apart and normalize how multifaceted we are, not only as artists, but as people. Mm-hmm. So for us to just be one thing is such doing such a disservice to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely something that's always on my mind. And I'm still learning. I'm still like deconstructing my ideas of what I am supposed to be sure. <laughs> or supposed to do. Sure. Like, I'm still finding ways where I have been conditioned to think, oh, I have to be this one thing that's palatable and marketable and easy to understand. Mm -hmm. But it's like, 
I don't even understand myself some days. So like, what the hell? Right. (laughs) Well, it's so easy to blame frustration in either part of the career on the lack of commitment to one or the other. It's so easy to be like, oh, if I just focused on that, then I'd be successful. And it's not true because I think- Yeah, because if you you just focus on one, Mm -hmm. you're not being your full self. You're not being you. Yeah, exactly right. And I think that the the best moments to me of floating among a different, different sets is when I can bring, I know something in one thing that nobody else knows because I do both. And it's that yeah. great feeling of like, ah, this is why I do this because this is this makes me special and unique. And I imagine like I, I like I said before, I think you're I would imagine your understanding of, of musicals, music theater makes your stage presence for singing songwriting d- more dynamic. And I would also probably also influences the writing, like we say, from that point of view in, in, in a way that sets you apart, which is the hardest thing to do when you're a singer, songwriter or musician of any kind is to be authentic and unique at the same time. Yeah. To stand right. Out. Yeah. And I also think off of that, like I've found my, my performance identity uh, while like literally singing these songs to be a, such a blend of the two worlds, mm-hmm. because I'm not a fan of like acting every lyric and every beat. Like that is not, me and at the same time when you see someone just singing and they're not telling any story right it's nothing it doesn't mean anything right and so i feel like being a part of both of those worlds has really allowed me to find my middle ground of what that storytelling is when i am performing and singing and delivering Mm -hmm. um although it's funny like i i just recorded and like filmed um a couple of music videos, mm-hmm. one for my Sondheim stuff and one for my original music. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like once I'm being filmed for a performance, mm-hmm. it's like that actor side of me really comes oh, out. I was going to say, I've watched the video for mess. I'm, I'm, I, I, I know you can do the thing. That's not. Yeah. Know. It's like, it's, it's very interesting how like when I'm, if I'm performing that song live, mm-hmm. That energy is like I take like an ink, like an ink drop mm-hmm. of it and like put it into my performance. But once it's a full blown visual story, mm-hmm. it's like I'm going all out with the expressions mm-hmm. and like the craziness and all. I I posted a last year I made a very DIY music video for my song Mind Reader and mm-hmm. I posted it. And this one woman commented, she was like, really love the song, but like really hate how acty it is. <laughs> and I was like, okay, bitch. Like I'm literally an actor. So <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. That's <laughs> funny. Oh man. I'm bookmarking yeah. that video right now. I'll watch that later. Because uh, <laughs> it's literally a- me being like psycho. Sure. Well, and that's what I like, but I like the, I mean, I, the only video I've watched is Mess, I will say, but like, I like the sort of high-minded, late 90s, early 2000s vibe I got from it of like, yeah, back when music videos were discrete movies, basically, like they were, there was high production value and intense story and like probably too much in the video, but it was I great. I love that. It yeah. It was great. It was great to sit and like, because when I was in college, 
we just had MTV on all the time. We didn't have this is in the early, again late nineties, early two thousands, and that was what we listened to. Like it was just the background all the time. So like all those videos are very ingrained in my in my consciousness yeah. and it is that like that's the kind of stuff i like that's you know i came up on november Same. rain like that's the like that's the level if someone doesn't dive through a cake in the rain i don't know why we're here frankly i don't know what Hello. We're, i don't know what we're even doing like, come on gang you can do it if he can but do yeah, it. yeah. I, there there i watch so many music videos now and i i other than just being aesthetic mm-hmm. and like a visual like thing i don't know like when it's just superficial i i just see through it and i don't really understand where the art form comes in Mm -hmm. and and when a video literally has nothing to do with the song unless it's a a purposeful choice Mm -hmm. i just don't i think it's a waste Mm -hmm. um so I don't know. I just, I really gravitate towards, okay, you have a song that is telling a story of its own uh, audibly. Mm-hmm. When you put a music video to that story that's being told through sound, then you can elevate that story through visual mm-hmm. media as well. And like, it just gives you such an opportunity to like, really elaborate on the story that you're telling Mm -hmm. like it's such an opportunity Mm -hmm. in my opinion (laughs) um i don't know i I I, yeah i see what i mean this obviously it's a weird art form also because i don't think anyone's ever really agreed on what it is or what it's for it's just sort of that's true (laughs) it's just sort of you know and there's like a couple different styles there's you know the performance one there's the weird one that has nothing to do with the song there's the literal interpretation one and then, right. I mean, I think that like right now, there there's some great music videos being made. Obviously, like with Little Nas X out there just blowing the doors. Oh my off god, the I love <laughs> like, him. It is just like I can't believe like the the I get see I get obsessed with his videos about the planning. Like, man, this took a long time to figure out. Like, you yes! really figured out every single moment in this thing. Uh, it's so well. Yes, done. I so well don't listen to his music. No, whatsoever. Do I. Ever. Do I. And yes, I've seen every I'm, video he put out. Yes. <laughs> watch every video mm-hmm. i love his personality he's so freaking funny mm-hmm. and he always just like i don't know if you've ever seen his tweets like i'm not yeah. huge on twitter but mm-hmm. like i have seen all Nas's tweets and he just he's so smart mm-hmm. and when someone is that smart and so um cohesive in Mm -hmm. his artistry and his statements as an artist i just have such respect Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's entrancing to watch somebody be that authentic and expressive and concise and clear and all this like it it, it's entrancing it absolutely draws you it draws you right in Um, so speaking of of clear and concise and entrancing uh let's talk about safsand um (laughs) so it is. I think I said this in a previous episode, and I don't know. You certainly tweeted about it, but I don't know if you you listened to it or not. That I, I just did listen. I to couldn't it. stop listening to this album, Ellery. It was. I did. So here, this is this is where I came at it from. I. It's so funny in this last year that we've gotten both your album and the Disco Sondheim album. Which are which I've never listened to. Oh no! Oh god, no. it's so good. It's it's 180 degrees, obviously different from not only the style of music you're doing, but also 
you know, in, in that album, you know, you're taking for those who haven't listened, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't listened to Sefson, I don't, you don't like you don't like me very much is, is what I've learned from that. <laughs> um, where you take Sondheim songs and, and make them folk songs a la Sufjan Stevens. That's where the title comes from. Disco Sondheim is 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 it like extended medley mixes in, in disco styles of Sondheim? Mm. It's an entrancing album. It's so much fun. It it just it it's incredible. You have to listen to it. Um, but so it's so funny to me that on the other side is is your album, which is much simpler and obviously stripped down in its tone and 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 all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, I know it started on TikTok, but how did this manifest itself? Yeah, so it actually started when I was in the height of audition season in 2019. It was like January, February 2019. And people would come up up to me at auditions and be like, hey, like, how are you? How's it going? And I'd be like, oh, you know, every day a little death. (laughs) (laughs) That was the vibe. (laughs) Um, And after like, pulling that one liner out so many times I had the song so stuck in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happens, uh, I have to make a cover of it in mm. order to like get it out of me. Sure. Um, so I was like, I'm going like, to come up with just like an acoustic version of this. Like, I think it could be cool. Uh, and I did like a little Instagram cover mm. and I captioned it Sufjan on on Sondheim. Mm I was like, it's like Sufjan could have written this. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. if he pulled out a guitar and had these lyrics. Right. Uh, And my friend commented like, oh my God, you have to make this a series. And I was like, you don't need to tell me. (laughs) Like, I am on it. Oh, twist my arm. (laughs) Yeah. So... I, the literal next day, I came up with the Joanna reprise, mm. like quartet. Mm-hmm. I just recorded it all on my phone. Um, and people really liked it. But, you know, it was all within my community and like within mm-hmm. my scope. Um, so it wasn't until fast forward after making video after video and just posting them on YouTube and Instagram. Uh, fast forward to February of this year when my good friend Chloe was like, you need to get a TikTok. Like it's time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like you are really talented and there are people who like aren't talented who are doing well. So like <laughs> you should, you should do this. And so after a little while of having her persuade me, I, I caved and I, so I was like, well, you know, I have all this content from my other platforms. Like I'll just like put it out there mm-hmm. as I go And I posted my Joanna video and people really responded. Like I didn't know that that was a thing that people really (laughs) liked or really wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just kept on like posting my backlog of my arrangements that I had already done. And then people were commenting. um, They were commenting like, please put this on, on Spotify. Please put this on Apple music. Like I need this. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. okay. Like, I'll, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and so I, I was like, I, I guess I'm going to make an album mm-hmm. because I can. Mm-hmm. And I have majority of the songs picked minus like a, a few mm-hmm. that I wasn't sh- totally sure of. And 
some I hadn't fully fleshed out the arrangements of yet. Mm -hmm. But the people of TikTok really like pushed me and inspired me to figure it out. Mm -hmm. Um, So over the course of one month, uh, I I recorded all 13 songs in my closet. And uh, my friend Tom, uh, he... Uh, mixed and mastered them for me and but I knew exactly what I wanted everything to sound like I was like this needs to be here this needs to have that Mm -hmm. you know and he just like made it sound good and polished um and then I like I I was just gonna uh put it out myself independently Mm -hmm. um and I reached out to Broadway World and wanted to do an article with them and they said yes Um, so I did an interview with them. And then the day that came out, I got an email from the president of Ghostlight Records, (laughs) um, which is like a thing that like, you know, you just open your email (laughs) and he was like, I love what you're doing. How can I help? How Mm. can I help you? Um, and I was like, I don't know, but the, you're, I, you I, tell just, me. <laughs> you're, I don't know anything, but mm-hmm. like you're here in my life somehow now. Right. And that is like more than enough, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sent him the album to listen to and he loved it. And he was like, man, I really wish that I could put this out through Ghostlight. And I was like, well, right. you can. It's funny you bring that up. <laughs> um, uh, you know. <laughs> right. Hey. Another another twist my arm moment. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of like all tumbled forward from there. And <laughs> I, I can't even believe that it's a, a real thing that people have been like, actively listening to all the time and like that's how people know who I am now Mm -hmm. and like I just if someone told me like the door that opens your career up right is going to be indie folk sometime covers I'd be like ha ha Uh right (laughs) that is weird (laughs) except of course it is because it's your it's your Venn diagram center (laughs) it's it's right there it truly is it's right there Um, in the middle (laughs) Yeah. So now I'm like trying to figure out venues to like have concerts and live shows for me to perform the material. And um, uh, it's all under Ellery Ward now. Um, Oh, okay. No longer go by Susan because Sufjan Stevens' lawyers were like, hey. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Which I did not expect to happen because I really did my research before I put that out under that name and like Sondheim was chill with right. me using Sond. Yeah, of um, course he was. Right. Uh, but yeah, apparently there's like this thing with like uh, like less recognizable artists using really recognizable artist names in their names in mm. order to kind of like ride oh. on their searchability, okay. which I had no idea it was a thing and sure. obviously was not even close to my intention. Sure. Um, but I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So his people reached out to my Aww. people <laughs> and they were like, yeah, like we know it's all good. And like, it's, it's, it's fine. And we also know that you would totally win in a lawsuit right. against us. But we're but... asking you nicely to please not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
But apparently Sufyan like loves that I'm taking inspiration from him and all that jazz. So like that's cool. Okay, um, you'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> but going back to that idea of like of embracing our our multitudes mm-hmm. as people and artists, I'm like, you know what? This was one of those teachable teachable moments of. I felt because as Ellery Ward, I had only put out pop music Mm -hmm. as my identity as an artist. I needed to create this other very streamlined artist identity Mm -hmm. for this music. A discreet place to put. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the aesthetic matches everything, like the visuals and the sounds and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I had a meeting with Kurt from Ghostlight and he was like, you know, it's all you. Mm-hmm. And like when you're on a cast album one day, you you go by Ellery Ward. Mm-hmm. It's all going to be on the same page. And I right. was like, dang it, Kurt, you're so wise. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and it's true though. Like I, I, that was a moment where I had to catch myself of like falling prey to that same, mm-hmm. that same thing that I, I really tried to push against, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm still learning to be, to be accepting of all of me as a whole, regardless of how different some sounds are from others and how some visuals are from others. So. It's really, and it, it is an eclectic group, I think is the thing that I really like about it, is that it's not, you really seem to have picked songs just that you enjoy. It's yeah. not like you didn't try to make them all of a certain era or from a certain character point of view or any, you know, any of that, it, it just feels like, you know, the, these are the songs that you enjoy. Mm-hmm. And then you had a, you know, an idea in your head of how they would run. I mean, the song that really took me by surprise, I think I said this on the intermission was in Buddy's Eyes. In Buddy's Eyes I'm young, I'm beautiful In Buddy which is not a song that people record of his you know what i mean it's a song that gets very easily overlooked it's not a huge it's not a Sondheim hit but it's a heartbreaker I mean just like as as Sally is like the most heartbreaking character maybe he's ever written Mm -hmm. it is a shockingly oof man (laughs) I love that song so much Mm -hmm. and yeah it's so underrated Mm -hmm. and I was like yeah I wasn't thinking about oh people don't like these Sondheim songs or whatever like or people don't talk about these as much. It's like, I don't care. Right. I will make someone like it. I I will make someone talk about the songs that I feel passionately about Mm -hmm. because they're so good. Mm -hmm. And like in Buddy's eyes, you are not the first person to, to say that that was kind of an, an underdog track uh, for me to pick. And I just, I hope that other people listen to it and kind of delve into the history of that song and like the many renditions that people have sung and like Mm -hmm. love it because 
it's just so good. Mm-hmm. Like the Barbara Cook video of mm. her singing that song yeah. in her like periwinkle outfit. Right. Ah, it's li- <laughs> I will never, there are just certain, certain videos or like um, renditions mm. of some of these songs that will just like be what they are in my head forever. And that is that one. Mm. <laughs> um I remember hearing it for the first time when I was in college. My my best friend Michael showed it to me. Mm. And we've listened to it and like watched that video in particular a zillion times that I was like, how could I not have anybody's eyes on this album? Like it's a <laughs> part of my Sondheim like history, mm-hmm. like my Sondheim heart. <laughs> it's ingrained. <laughs> Yeah, and you you and you succeed. You absolutely you absolutely succeed in that endeavor. So congratulations. Thank and, you. And yeah, it, it's just so it's so great. Uh, hard crashing back into uh, Spring Awakening. I have to ask if you could tell me what is your favorite song? Bitch of Living. Is it really? All yes, right. it that is. That fits. <laughs> yeah, that suits. <laughs> it really is just so good. Like if I could listen to one song on that whole cast recording over and for over the rest again. of my days, sure. it would be that song. Like I remember when I was when I was listening to that cast recording, like on heavy rotation. Like if I only had time mm-hmm. for a song or two, like it had to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed with that song. So good. <laughs> Ellery, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. It was a wonderful way to spend an evening. Where can people find Same. you on the internet? They can find me just about anywhere. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm the same me wherever you find mm. me. Uh, I'm Ellery Ward go. on all platforms. Instagram, TikTok, uh, Twitter, I have a Facebook music page, but like who uses Facebook any anymore? Right. Like I, I don't know. That's a, that's so like, I barely really look at it, <laughs> but I do post things to it that are important. Uh, if that is your only means of finding me. <laughs> um, if you're desperate. And I, I have a website. It's my name.com. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah. No, it's it's ellaryward.com. It's not my name.com. That's a right. Different, well, you know, that's a different website. <laughs> What's at myname.com? I'm going to figure that out right Actually, now. yeah, I'm curious. <laughs> oh, it's available. You can get it if you want to. Okay. Well, now there you, you know. Uh, you can go on GoDaddy <laughs> tonight, tonight and, and have purchase. it redirect to There you go. That works. <laughs> That's a good use of time and money. <laughs> God, I dreamed there was an angel who could hear me through the wall. As I cried out like in Latin, this is so not life at all. Help me out, out of this nightmare. And I heard her silver call. She said, just give it time, kid. I come to one and all. She said, give me that hand, please. And the itch you can't control. Let me teach you how to handle all the sadness in your soul. Oh, we'll work that silver magic then we'll aim it at the wall she said love may make you blind kid but i wouldn't mind at all it's a bitch of living the original cast is produced and edited by me patrick flynn please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice it's the easiest way to help the podcast grow 
If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast, at the movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Ellery Ward for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. It's the bitch of living. It's the bitch of living.